Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And obviously the media circus in New York will be over tomorrow night. Uh, one more day of tabloid journalism and hoopla and all this other baloney. Pretty interesting, uh, feisty debate last week that I caught some excerpts of. I didn't actually watch it, but uh, Donald Trump. New York has actually, ironically, almost become a must-win for Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And uh, I don't think Bernie's going to do it, but Trump probably will. The question is the margin. New York has a closed primary system. That's important because it doesn't allow independents to cross over or people that are registered with other parties to vote in either the Democratic or Republican primaries. You had to have changed your registration in October. So you really had to be on top of things. And understanding all these con confusing complex rules is part of the ridiculousness of the primary system. I wish everything was just a primary. I wish they would get rid of caucuses completely. Just have a primary in every every state and keep the rules somewhat uh, logical, somewhat inconsistent. I think Bernie Sanders is making an enormous mistake when he claims that Hillary's only won because she's won in the, quote, deep south. <laughs> Florida, Illinois, Ohio, Arizona, Missouri, Nevada, and Iowa are not in the deep south. Uh, Hillary Clinton has won all across the country, except she hasn't won caucuses in the northern plain states. But uh, be that as it may, Bernie really has to win uh, tomorrow night, I think, to even logically or argumentatively stay in the race, because next week you have Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Connecticut. Next week is actually a mini Super Tuesday, mm -hmm. big day next week. And obviously Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are talking about the system being rigged. There's problems with the system, but I don't know that it's rigged. Um, the biggest states tend to have primaries. In fact, I was looking at the 15 biggest states in the United States uh, recently. Just for the record, Hillary has won nine of those states. Four haven't voted yet. And New York uh, votes tomorrow. Uh, Does California vote? That's the last one, and that's obviously going to be the uh, whole enchilada on the Republican side because it's quite clear that Donald Trump is not going to have it wrapped up until California, if ever. And then the, the whole chaos of the Republican Party, the schism that's emerged in the last month is, I think, beyond repair. Well, and I think Kasich will just stay in it regardless of the fact that mathematically he's nowhere near uh, likely no. to to really do anything. Um, but because since, he won Ohio. Right. And take all. <laughs> right. And because there is enough, uh, well, ennui, disgust, indifference, uh, outright dislike uh, of both Trump and Cruz. Perhaps Kasich is hoping, uh, fingers crossed, for the ultimate backroom brokered convention in which uh, 
he somehow miraculously emerges as the most likely viable national candidate for that party, which is so at odds with itself that I have to encourage uh, listeners to check out the latest Mad Magazine with the uh, adult coloring book cover for the Banana Republican Campaign Fashion Collection that uh, (laughs) puts... Pretty accurate uh, satirical analysis of each candidate's uh, shortcomings uh, with a lovely garment. Yeah. Ben Carson in a nice purple set of pajamas there because he never really was able to wake up from his dream. But uh, And Donald Trump, what's he sporting? Donald uh, Trump is sporting a nice uh, fisherman sweater there. Yeah. Well, he... Looks pretty good in that photo. A lot better than he does on television. <laughs> You've somehow made the transition from social pro-choice liberal to Bible-quoting xenophobic conservative. So now, transition your summer outfit into one that's perfect for fall. Layer up by tossing our cashmere sweater jacket over your favorite tee, available in white only. What better way to show supporters that you can dress down and have a little fun while still being fascist forward? And talk about irony, distressed indigo denim jeans are actually made in Mexico. Of course, Fox News still calling for the border to be sealed. There's the Supreme Court uh, matter today about oh, yeah. uh, Obama's. Uh, and, of course, that that is going to be affected by the fact that there's, there's eight votes on the Supreme no Court. No tiebreaker. Uh, we have a Senate under Mitch McConnell that uh, apparently doesn't show up for even the French work week anymore. To borrow a phrase from Jeb Bush. Of course, the interesting thing about this Trump hysteria and the whole debate, can he be stopped? Uh, This is an interesting article uh, written by uh, Michael Tomaski in the uh, New York Review of Books from the April 21st edition. He actually wrote this article. Well, usually they have the date of when the article was submitted for something related to politics because things can change so rapidly. But he mentions uh, specifically Mitt Romney's uh, March 3rd speech uh, calling Trump a phony, a fraud. His promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University. Trump University investigations have somehow sort of fizzled But they're out there, trust me. Uh, Perhaps the most interesting comment, he's got a number of observations about the primary system in both parties, primarily focused on Donald Trump. But anyway, this is the big one. Bush, he's talking about Jeb, for example, had spent $82 million on paid media and received $214 million in free media. Rubio, those respectives were $55 million and $204 million. For Cruz, $22 million and $313 million. For Sanders, $28 million spent, Paid. $321 million free. For Clinton, $28 million paid, $746 million in her case much of that free media was negative relating to the State Department emails. And Trump, he spent not more than $10 million on paid media and received $1.9 billion in free media. Wow. 
That's nearly triple the other three major Republican candidates combined. And, you know, you so, can complain about the, the rigged system, uh, <laughs> but you got to remember that the parties themselves make those rules. Yes. This is not some sort of national or federal law. Uh, but who's responsible for giving this free media away? Well, it's the mainstream media. Well, sure. The uh, the mindless obsession with, uh, in Hillary's case, uh, case uh, a scandal that doesn't really develop or lead to anything really salient. And in Trump's case, just the unmitigated freak show. Well, and, and it's interesting that in, in, this observa- in some of the observations that... Um uh, Tomaski makes in this speech, he points out that on the evening of March 8th, when Trump won in Michigan and Mississippi and Bernie Sanders scored his upset in Michigan, all three cable networks carried Trump's full 45-minute rambling monologue. Such election night speeches usually run 15 minutes. They skipped over Hillary Clinton's and John Kasich's speeches. Although MSNBC broadcast Clinton's speech in its entirety, but only on tape delay after Trump was finished. <laughs> That's the bias. That's MSNBC. Right. That's the, quote, liberal yeah. cable political network. And um, you, you have to wonder, are they just sort of like, let's go with that because he's going to say something crazy? Or is it, oh, no, that's that's the most important speech? Yeah, well, that, of course, I think, I don't remember this for a fact, but I think that was the night where he talked a lot about uh, the stakes and the water, and I think he was in Florida at the time, mm-hmm. bragging about his commodities for sale. Uh, of course, he was declaring himself a winner. Vote for me, I'm a winner. I win at everything. I love you people. I particularly love the dumb white people of Tennessee. He goes out of his way to praise uh, dumb white people for some reason in every speech. And they're the ones coming to his, quote, election speech, victory speech, rally parties, whatever they are. Big one in Buffalo tonight. Yeah. And, of course, when Cruz outmaneuvers him on the ground, and I'm— uh, I think Cruz has got some dangerous ideas, but clearly Cruz understands how to play this game. Uh, Bernie Sanders has outmaneuvered Hillary Clinton on the ground. That's why he's won these caucuses. But he's getting clobbered in the primaries, and tomorrow he will have another opportunity to win a big state. I don't think it's going to happen. By the way, I don't think his comments about Israel are going to hurt him uh, that he made in the debate. Um but obviously he's being criticized in New York State in particular because uh, New York State is one of the very few states in America where uh, the Jewish vote is important in New York City, in the city of New York City. It's not enormous, but it's something like 4 to 5% of the, uh, of the population of New York, so it does represent a relatively significant slice of a Democratic primary. You'd think, of course, that being a native New Yorker and himself Jewish, that it wouldn't really be an issue at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that he was absolutely correct about disproportionality. Uh, Disproportionality is a concept of just war 
and is a response that people need to consider uh, when we have these debates about policy. So, for instance, today we get a report from Afghanistan about civilian casualties last year. Uh, There were 2,000 civilians killed or wounded and more than 80,000 people displaced in the Afghan conflict, according to the United Nations. That's what they said Saturday. This article by uh, Majib uh, Mashal. Might be mispronouncing that last name. But what's interesting here is, uh, among other things, the U.N.'s mission in Afghanistan documented 600 civilian deaths and 1,343 wounded in the first three months of 2016. The Taliban has rejected the latest uh, efforts to bring peace talks to the table, while the death toll fell 13% from the same period last year. The number of wounded increased. The report blamed the insurgents for 60% of the casualties and forces on the government side for 19%. That, of course, is sufficiently vague to exclude the United States. Mm. The United States is obviously on the government side. We are continuing to participate in airstrikes in Afghanistan, though we have very, very few, quote, troops on the ground. Uh, So combat missions in Afghanistan by the American military are fairly few and far between, but airstrikes continue. Uh, In my opinion, there's been way too much focus on somewhat irrelevant issues uh, related to uh, the the campaign that are unfocused on these ongoing wars and the real problems. The Republicans have successfully run a campaign of fear and hate in the United States, fear about terrorism, which is relatively strange. Since uh, Obama became president, 225,000 Americans have died in gun violence. How many have died in terrorism? It's not even 50. Of course, today the Boston Marathon was held. That's an anniversary of a terrorist attack. They do occasionally happen. But if you got the impression that America is uh, under attack from terrorists because Obama's not doing anything, you have to kind of wonder what country you're in and what, wh- why these issues are confused in the minds of the public. And, of course, the fear and hate is part of the immigration uh, hoopla. Right, which, realistically speaking, is not really anything like the crisis that the environment, the crumbling infrastructure, uh, lack of... Uh, Pay equity, sure. Uh, still struggling with uh, an imperfect healthcare system. There are a number of serious, substantive issues that, with careful deliberation, could be addressed. But nobody wants to carefully or thoughtfully deliberate upon them. Uh, certainly on the Republican side, and uh, and of course, just to use an example that you just cited, the crumbling infrastructure that would create American jobs immediately. Precisely, <laughs> immediately. Yeah. You you can't export a road repair or a bridge repair to China. Um, Trump might figure out how to do that. Of course, it turns out that some of his uh, campaign goodies were made in China. Uh, Ridiculous, but not surprising. 
And as for the Trump stakes, one has to wonder where they come from. I am almost curious to contemplate green but... to contemplate whether it's a 3D printer. Uh, <laughs> makes you wonder. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. Um, open the pod doors. How? Well, the other thing that, you know, despite all of the noise and, and chaos surrounding the continuing uh, debacle that is the uh, Republican campaign session, a uh, story today that uh, there's no <laughs> there's no widespread support for any front runner. Uh, that there are, I think the numbers were uh, 71% of people polled said they would not support Donald Trump as a presidential candidate. Uh, 68% said they would not support Ted Cruz as a presidential candidate. Yet they're winning. 61% said they could not support Hillary Clinton as a presidential candidate. And these are the ones with the most votes. Well, not only are they the ones with the most votes, but they're going to likely be the candidates. Indeed. You know, it would take a miracle for Bernie to really come back. I think the math alone is... Which the media never talks about. They they keep talking about Bernie's comeback. Bernie has done well in the caucus uh, states that he's won, but these are small states. Uh, just just remarkable that Florida alone has more people than Washington, Alaska, Wyoming, Minnesota, Utah, and Wisconsin combined. So that's just one primary where Bernie was crushed uh, in a open primary in a, in a primary. Of course, there was an interesting Republican race that night because the Marco was still in the race. The Donald convinced the uh, Republican voters that Marco was not ready for prime time yet. Too many uh, sweaty debate performances. (laughs) Uh, Sort of a confused approach to where he stood on some issues. And he got cleaned, his clock was cleaned pretty good by Ted Cruz uh, over a couple of votes that he made that he just couldn't really explain why he had switched his position other than showed that he was opportunistic. Yeah. And switching the positions didn't help him politically. So the the whole thing was mysterious. Um, I don't eliminate Marco Rubio from future a comeback at some point because uh, he's young, but uh, 40 days in the wilderness uh, is, is something that I think he's going to have to spend more than 40 days. It might have to be a decade. People are going to have to forget who, who, who he was or why he was such a dismal candidate, even though the Washington media loved him and it, and it even anointed him at one point yeah. as... He was what they wanted. He was what they wanted, but it was so clear that he was completely inadequate uh, for all kinds of reasons um, that it was it was sort of mind-boggling. Of course, by that point, Jeb Bush's uh, performances were so dismal themselves. He, at one time, was the, quote, mainstream candidate, mm-hmm. but he was just running with the wrong name. Uh, you are not going to follow in the footsteps of the worst president in American history with the name of Bush. Not when your campaign signs say Jeb, exclamation point. It should have said Jeb, 
question mark <laughs> or something even worse. Uh, very interesting, by the way, how this so-called Black Lives Matter controversy has just fizzled into nothingness. Why? Because Bernie Sanders voted for the crime bill. So even though Bill Clinton had this big moment, I'd like to point out, by the way, just uh, this is from the uh, 16th of November. Baltimore homicide surpasses 300 for the year. This is last year. That's Baltimore. As I was suggesting last week, the crime issue, very complicated. And the big, big aftermath of all the investigations into the crime bill uh, kind of demonstrated that this really, A, wasn't going to work for Bernie Sanders as an issue, and B, it wasn't, it sort of ignored the facts about crime. And I was talking a little bit about this last week, so I just want to finish up on this one mm. paragraph uh, by Jed S. Rakoff. Unfortunately, I took this out of the New York Review of Books, so I don't, I'm not familiar with who he is exactly, but this article was written in May of 2015. He writes, uh, the unavoidable question is uh, whether these laws, and this is a reference elliptically to the um, 1994 Crime Act, though it doesn't address that specifically. He says, certainly crime rates have come down substantially from the very high levels of the 1970s and 1980s that gave rise to them. Overall, crime rates have been cut nearly in half since they reached their peak in 91, and they are now at levels not seen in many decades. A simple but powerful argument can be made that, quote, by locking people up for extended periods of time, the people who are most likely to commit crimes, we have both uh, incapacitated those who would otherwise be recidivists and deterred still others from committing crime in the first place. But is this true? The honest answer is we don't know. Mm. And this, of course, is an analytical uh, review of a big book, important book, What Caused the Crime Decline? Question mark. A report by Oliver Roeder, Lauren Brooke Eisen, and Julia Bowling with a foreword by Joseph Stiglitz, and an executive summary by Inamai Chetiar of the Brennan School for Justice. There's a website. You can check it out. This is from the May 21st, 2015 edition of the New York Review of Books that analyzes the de intellectual debate about the decline in crime or why there was such an explosion in prison construction in the 1970s and 1980s. All of this happened before Bill Clinton was president, by the way. Well, as you mentioned last week, part of the so-called war on drugs was a war on some people who yes. use certain drugs, but maybe not other drugs. Well, and when you have a disparity in the sentence for crack cocaine right. of 100 to 1, that's problematic. Now, I think that there are clinical uh, doctors and uh, substance abuse professionals that would argue that crack cocaine is much more 
debilitating on the brain uh, than uh, powder cocaine. But why such why such right. a disparity? And why, you know, the crystal meth oxycontin epidemic mm-hmm. that the media keeps talking about constantly here in the United States this year um, is is affecting rural white areas of America in unbelievable proportions. Is there a corresponding jailing of these people? We don't know. Um, but certainly some aspects of this complicated socioeconomic issue are being looked at even by conservatives in Congress for once. I think that the Rockefeller laws, and I'm referring there to Nelson Rockefeller, he wrote these tough three strikes and you're out type of laws in the 70s in the state of New York when he he was the governor. He was the governor of the Attica. Mm -hmm. He was governor of New York when the Attica prison uprising took place, for instance. So crime is, is a very complicated social issue that we need to have more discussions about. But, uh, for instance, the California three strikes and your outlaws were passed under Republican governors in the 1980s. George Dumagian, Pete Wilson. These things preceded Bill Clinton. It's not to say that the crime bill was... Uh, was even properly should have even been called a crime bill because when you look at all the other stuff that was in it, it was one of these crazy omnibus bills mm-hmm. that has a lot of catch all catch all nonsense. It's got nothing to do with the quote crime problem, but they're padding up the bill to get the votes. And the the crime bill, by the way, I don't remember what the vote was, but it was overwhelmingly in favor mm-hmm. because a politician is susceptible to the demagoguery and propaganda of politics. 94 would have been a midterm year. You got it. And that is why Clinton, and it didn't help the Democrats. Not that year, no. Bill Clinton lost control of Congress. So uh, Hillary Clinton, for instance, and the Iraq war vote, just to talk about that very briefly, because I think this is another sort of bogus Bernie Sanders issue. Hillary Clinton voted for a Senate bill that was passed in October of 2010. It was not a vote to go to war. The Bush administration took America to war. Mm -hmm. They did so after they lied to the United Nations about anthrax. Colin Powell was one of the stars of that show. But the facts about the Iraq war are the project for the new American century, and the neoconservatives were responsible for that war. That was a five-year propaganda effort by... Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl. We know their names. They were bombarding the media constantly about overthrowing Saddam Hussein. William Sapphire began to openly advocate going to war in Iraq in November of 2001. Who was Hillary Clinton? Look, she's a senator from New York who's looking at a re-election. It's it's it, it wasn't a vote to go to war. It was a vote to put pressure, authorize the Bush administration to put pressure on the U.N., which Bush tried to do, and the U.N. voted him down. Yep. So the Iraq war has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton's vote on the Senate res- re- resolution in October. That Senate resolution in October, by the way, was orchestrated by Karl Rove. 
Why did they have the vote three weeks before the 2002 congressional elections? Hmm. Demagoguery, propaganda, the usual nonsense that goes on in the political. And this is what our system needs to be wary of. And when amnesia starts permeating political debates, I am troubled by it. I'm not saying that Hillary Clinton is more is is is, is uh, she's obviously more hawkish than Bernie Sanders. Oh, clearly, I think that's... Bernie Sanders, by the way, at the time was in the House of Representatives. He voted no. Whether or not he was a leader of the opposition, I don't know. But what I do remember is that Carl Levin, our senator from Michigan, Ted Kennedy, Russ Feingold, and Robert Byrd, of all people, from West Virginia, were the leaders in the Senate against the resolution. Mm -hmm. the, the resolution as such passed overwhelmingly. And many Democrats who voted, quote, for this resolution voted not because they believed in the resolution, but because they didn't want to have to deal with a reelection problem. And this issue was going to be a big issue in the 2002 election and the 2004 elections. That's two thirds of the Senate right there. Yep. Virtually no Republicans in the House of Representatives voted against this war resolution. Ron Paul was an exception. Connie Morella voted no, and she was defeated mm -hmm. three weeks later. Jim Leach voted no. He was a powerful committee chairman that had expertise on the budget. He survived. Demagoguery was used uh, repeatedly in the Iraq war fiasco. And yes, it is the biggest foreign policy blunder in American history. We're looking at the results in Syria today. Syria is a complete mess. The war in Iraq is continuing day after day after day. And yet Americans are being told by Trump and Cruz that terrorism here in the United States is a threat. Just like to remind you that you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Uh, we'd like to thank Andrew for engineering again this evening. He's sporting a kind of uh, Hawaiian shirt. The good weather is here. Is that strange that it was 25 degrees just two weeks ago and now it's 82? Yep. And, it, you know, it's like, hey, we're not used to this. And, of course, the uh, computer has uh, WCBN on heat mode still. Yeah, the U has an on and an off switch. <laughs> uh, Hal, uh, open the pod doors, right. please. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a remarkable uh, situation. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be, I, I don't think, by the way, that the free trade issue is going to play big in the New, New York. But Pennsylvania in a couple weeks, next week? Maybe. Yes. Big state. 